Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, one of my favourite parts of social media is the Instagram reels. Bear with me if you're over the age of 30, I'll explain it to you what it is. But uh, they're the Instagram reels, which is it's like videos that play on Instagram. I love the Instagram reels where you have... That it snaps between Instagram and reality. Have you seen those reels? And it's normally accompanied with a, a soundtrack. Normally it's uh, Earth, Wind and Fire's September. And then it cuts to uh, the reality version and a soundtrack that is like a, a kid's recorder and someone trying to play September on the kid's recorder. Have you seen those reels? Those around the age of 30, it's kind of mashed up. And, and the images kind of look like this. Uh, they, they kind of give you a, a, a difference between Instagram and reality. This is for those that aren't on social media, so you can join in the fun with us. And, uh, and it's been the latest craze with some of these Instagram influencers to give a perspective between uh, Instagram life and reality life. And, and you know what? When I think about the spiritual life, uh, I look at my own spiritual life and, and I feel like my, my spiritual life is one of those sorts of reels. There's kind of like the Instagram version of the spiritual life where everything is fine and rosy and God is with you and He's blessing you and working through you. Uh, but uh, to be honest with you, most of my life feels like someone's playing Earth, Wind and Fire September on a recorder. You know what it sounds like? like I feel like my life's a bit of a reality mess and I'm sure for some of you that's maybe how your, your spiritual life has felt this morning. I, I remember many a time uh, that we would come to church, not that I'm trying to throw my family into this too much, but, but how we would be arguing in the car uh, all the way down Eastern Valley Way from French's Forest. And we would get into this church here and we would sit there and everyone just sit nicely and we're dressed nicely. And, and we would kind of think, well, I hope no one finds out. <laughs> and it still happens, by the way. You know, Kristen's favorite line to me is, after we've had a really great Sunday, she says to me, yeah, but they don't have to pick up your dirty socks off the lounge room floor. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that there's a, there's a reality to our spiritual lives. And I think you've, you've felt that, that, that there's the Instagram life and then there's the, the reality of our spiritual life. And as we've been saying over the past couple of weeks, that the reason why we're, we're talking about this is that if you are within the sound of my voice, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online live now, whether you're watching this on a bus or a train uh, or at night as you're going off to sleep on YouTube, you can watch it wherever you want. Uh, if you're watching this, then there's a sense in which I know that you want to encounter God. You, want to, you wouldn't be here otherwise. We want to encounter God. We want this Instagram version of Christianity. Uh, and yet, we sense that it's a little bit tougher and a little bit more real than most people realize. And so that's why we've been saying our spiritual life works better when it's being fed upstream. That's been the analogy that, that we have this dynamic life like the Amazon River surging forward into the ocean. We have this dynamic Christian life when we feed our spiritual lives with tributaries upstream uh, of of, uh, of silence and solitude and time alone with God. And Barry last week talked about the holy life and the distinct life. And this morning, I want to talk about another tributary, which is the, the charismatic stream, as Richard Foster would put it, or uh, in other words, the spirit-filled life. Now, the minute I say spirit-filled life, there's some of you that start to get all excited. And, um, and there's, there's, there's branches of Christianity that just gets obsessed with the spirit-filled life. And when we, uh, when we hear this, we, we 
there's a lot of different thoughts around what this means. Does that mean the sort of life that you start talking gobbledygook or funny, that funny way that people talk, speaking in tongues, the church calls it? Is it the sort of life where, I don't know, that God is so with you that you can kind of zap people like the emperor in Star Wars Return of the Jedi? Is it the sort of life where it's always goosebumps and an experience and, and that God somehow shows up to you? And there's all these misconceptions about what it is. Now, look, I'll be upfront. There are some amazing and incredible manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as your pastor, I pray in tongues behind the scenes. I've been given that gift of the tongues. And, and so that is something that I practice personally that we don't, we don't major on out here up front. But there are these amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is for a whole another sermon. But I want to get away from the misconceptions around the Holy Spirit because we can get so caught up on this Spirit-filled life that we make a mistake that we can, and here's what happens, when we get so obsessed with these things, we can treat the Holy Spirit more like a genie when actually He's a guide. <laughs> you know, we can kind of treat the Holy Spirit, if I just pray the right way, and if I just say the right things, if I just rub the lamp the right way, then poof, you know, like God's going to show up in my life, and He's going to make things better, and He's going sh- to give me all this superpower, and He's going to grant my wishes to come true in terms of life circumstances. Yet Jesus says in John 16, when he comes, Aleron Parakletos, another Jesus of a different kind, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's a guide, not a genie. And so uh, we find that when, when Jesus leads us through our spiritual life like this, then the relationship with the Holy Spirit is a little bit more varied than people think of just an experience. In fact, if it was just an experience, then the Trinity would be the Father, Son, and the Holy Experience. But it's not, it's the Holy Spirit. And so we have this Instagram life, and then we have this reality life when it comes to our spiritual life. And boy, have I got good news for you this morning. This brings me so encouraged. You want a word of encouragement? Here's a word of encouragement. I get so encouraged when I see one of the giants of the faith, the Apostle Paul himself, giving us one of the reality moments in his spiritual life. You know, this is Paul's version of playing September on the recorder. Paul says in Romans 7, look, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I am doing, I don't want to do. And he eventually says, what a wretched man I am. Doesn't that bring you encouragement this morning? <laughs> the giant of the faith came to realize that there is a reality version to his spiritual life. And what we see here, what does it tell us about the Spirit-filled life? You know what it tells us? It tells us that the, spiritual, the Spirit-filled life is a bar fight. Yeah, you heard it right, it's a bar fight. You know, I remember back in my old days, pre-pastor, you know, look at Kristen's eyes, she's like, you didn't tell me about this, well, hang on, what's, what's going on here? Um, back in my old days, we'd go up to Newport Arms there uh, on Christmas Eve, it would be just surging uh, you know, you all here are going to church services. I'm up at the Newport Arms having a few drinks with the boys and it was absolutely surging and people are there all day and it starts getting a bit messy and I'm up there and this almighty fight starts to break out. I mean, like guys are chucking each other over the tops of the tables and there's glasses going everywhere and plates are smashing and girls are screaming. And so this fight's going everywhere and then next minute it goes inside and it's just deathly silent. It's peaceful again. We're having a drink. It's like lovely looking at the view. 
and poof, this, this fight comes back out again. There's plates everywhere and tables. And that's kind of like the Christian life, <laughs> is that whether you're a person of faith or not, in fact, um, before you're a person of faith, the, the fight is on the outside, um, the fight's with God. When you become a Christian, the Spirit-filled life is still a fight. It's just a fight on the inside, amen? And everyone thinks that you're fine when they turn up to church because the fight's happening in here. And they can't see what you've been through this morning or last week or yesterday. Can I get an amen to that? Anyone agree with that? (laughs) Yeah, look around. (laughs) Christians, though, we know it's a fight, right? (laughs) And Paul understood that it's a fight. Martin Luther, the founder of our branch of Christianity, understood that it was a fight. And here's why. I felt it, you felt it, Paul felt it. It's a fight because we have two natures at exactly the same time. Here's the, here's the nosebleed theology. Ready for it? Martin Luther called it simul justus et peccatur. That's the Latin of it there. In other words, we have two natures at the same time. Simul justus et peccatur meant at the same time you are righteous, you are okay in the sight of God, and at the same time you are a sinner, which when we hear that word, people think, oh, I'm an inherently bad person, here we go, you're one of those sorts of churches. No, sin is just self-interest nurtured. Sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds, it's self-interest nurtured. In other words, we are just built to want things our own way. So Luther said, you are both, at the same time, totally filled with the Holy Spirit and you're sinful, you're fleshly, you want things your way, at the same time. Tim Keller, the great preacher who's now passed away, put it this way and it was incredible. He says, simul justus et peccator means that you are more evil than you dare imagined." And that you are more loved than you dare believe. At the same time. No wonder it's a bar fight. <laughs> and that's what Paul was wrestling with. You know, there's, this, there's this part of me that wants to go my own way. And then there's this part of me that the very lifeblood of God is within me. And it's, it's beautiful. Have you felt this? And see, this is why it's such a wrestle for us. And then Paul's conclusion is this then. He says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit. Paul, when he says you are not controlled by the sinful nature, what he's really saying is that, is that there is a, a certain default to you now, a certain operating system, if you would have it, put it this way. And we see how operating systems work. In fact, it's like this. There's two major operating systems in the world, that one and that one, right? That one, that one leads to all sorts of heartache, frustration, anxiety, right? This one leads to love and joy and peace. And so when Paul says that you are you are in the Spirit. You, however, are controlled by the Spirit. He's not saying that God has these magic puppet strings that makes you do good things. What he's saying is that the Spirit-filled life at any moment in time is your choice to decide which operating system in that moment you are going to boot out of. Make sense? The flesh, my way my agenda, how I want to do things, or the Spirit, God's method for life. 
And um, we see this in one of the greatest examples of a human. If you want to know what uh, the spirit-filled life looks like, then you go back to the scriptures and you read through John's gospel and you read about a guy called Jesus who lived the spirit-filled life. Jesus lived this life filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we have to understand here is that Jesus didn't dip into his divinity in order to live out his humanity. That was really theological speak. Here's here's what I mean. Jesus didn't play the God card. When Jesus lived the Spirit-filled life, He had to learn the way that we learn all of the tools and the resources and the tributaries into His life in order to live the life that He did. Jesus just didn't behave because He was God. Jesus didn't do all of these incredible things just because he was born of God. It's not like the Matrix where like God somehow put a cable into the back of Jesus' head and just downloaded goodness and beauty into him. You see in Luke 2 where, where he gets lost and, and his parents go back to Nazareth and they don't know where, where he is and they come back and in Jerusalem he says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? What was he doing? Learning how to live the spirit-filled life. So far more than just an experience. And so we see this in Jesus that he was conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, and rejoiced in the Spirit. The Spirit was inherently part of his life. And in his humanity, not because he had the phone line to God, in his humanity, Jesus chose to boot his life out of the operating system of God. Is this making sense? I think we, we think that, that that's what happens, that somehow people get an extra dosage of the Holy Spirit and that's what makes them do great things. You know, like Mother, Mother Teresa, you know, why is it that we see the Mother Teresa's and the William Wilberforce's ending slavery, these, these Christians doing amazing stuff, Brendan and Shannon doing what they're doing this morning? I mean, have they all received an extra dose of the Holy Spirit? Simul Eustace at Peccator, Paul's conclusion is... That you and I, and get this truth, church, you and I have as much of the Spirit of God in us, if you call yourself a Christian, you have as much of the Holy Spirit in you as you all will always have in your lifetime. Now, which is so vital, isn't it? Because have you ever found yourself thinking this type of Christianity? Have you ever had a week where you turn up in church and you say to yourself, you know what? I've had a good spiritual week. I, I've, you know, I've, I've prayed. I did the silence and solitude exercise that Sam said I should do. I've been trying to live the distinct life. And you kind of sit down and you think, I'm in a good space. And you just kind of feel like, you know, God's with me. <laughs> or at the under the end of the spectrum, you can have that sort of life, and it may be you this morning, where there are things in your life that you're not proud of that you've done the, the, this week, decisions that you've made, and you sit there thinking... I'm not sure if I'm going to feel him this morning because I've done some stuff this week. And the conclusion of that type of Christianity is that, well, you know, if, if I'm good and God's good, then I'll get more of God. Ever, ever thought like that? That if I'm good, then somehow I'll have a more spiritual experience. There'll be more of the Holy Spirit within me. Or the reverse of it is, if I've been bad, if I've made some silly decisions, if I've made some selfish decisions, then clearly the Holy Spirit isn't with me this week. Anyone ever felt that way? Can I say that type of Christianity leads to religion? Because that's exactly what religion is. Religion is, if I'm good, then I can get near to God and then he'll bless me. 
And yet, I want to tell you the truth, that you have as much of the Spirit-filled life in you now as you will ever have. And so, therefore, it begs the question then, well, why is it that these people do great things? If we've all got the same Holy Spirit, why do we see Christians living these extraordinary lives? And I think it's incredibly vital to understand that, that our, our, ourselves are vessels for this tributary, this life that is flowing with us. And I want to give us three quick points as we finish up this morning on the ways in which you can harness and foster the Spirit-filled life. How do you live that out? Because clearly when you begin to discipline yourself into this life, then you do grow, as we've heard this morning, of Christians, of, of, a, of a young man that we just saw this morning, who was sitting here and maybe like you this morning, someone who didn't have a faith and now he's about to head across to Madagascar. Something has happened in the Christian life and it doesn't happen by accident. And here are the common steps that I see as your pastor of those that develop a spirit-filled life. The first, one's the, the first one is distraction. The first one is distraction in people's lives. What has your attention has you. Kurt Thompson said that our attention is the ignition switch of the mind. This is what I talked about in the first week. You know, that God was in the sound of the sheer silence with Elijah. The Holy Spirit's not going to hijack your soul. And so there are these distractions around us and everything in our society is trying to get your attention. And so to live a Spirit-filled life means that you need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, focus on these things. So practically, now practically it means for you, what is the first thing that you think of when you get up in the morning? Things of self or the things of God? The next one, and this is kind of like 101, 201, 301. Then what happens is when your attention is on the Holy Spirit, then you have the deliberation that happens. This is where the conflict begins. If you've got your attention on the Spirit, then it will create a bar fight within you. Paul says in Romans 8, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Right? So there is a deliberation that happens when you start to be aware of the things of the Spirit. There's a, a thinking that happens. This fight that happens within you. And here's the thing that I've found. Um, you just don't slip into sin. You always choose to do it. And that's because, let's be real, sin's fun. Sin has to be fun. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, and so sin at its most fundamental level at that moment is because in that moment, in that point of deliberation, there comes a point where you say to yourself, well, you know what? I just want to. And that's the fight, that's the discipline, that's the wrestle that goes on inside of us, is that it has to come to a point where there is deliberation and discipline that says, am I going to do the things of my own self or am I going to do the things of God? Ever felt this? <laughs> so there's a deliberation when you're brought into the reality of the things of God and the Holy Spirit doesn't hijack your soul, He guides you, prompts you. Great counsellor. You sure about that? Sure that's the way you want to go? And then there's devotion. This is like 301. 101, 201, 301. First one is to keep your focus on God. Then there's the deliberation that happens. And then when you build enough of this discipline, it, de it, it de develops within you the sort of character that wants to want God. 
the sort of character that wants to will the will of God. Dallas Willard says that, that God wants us to become the sort of people who naturally love what God loves, right? And couples know this. That's part of the transformation of love, is that you begin to love what the other person loves. I've had to endure that firsthand. (laughs) It's part of the devotion. I was never a friend's type of guy. And I don't mean like other people. I mean that sitcom that just went on forever. I can't stand friends, right? But I love friends now. I love friends because Kristen loves friends. She loves friends so much she can go to any episode, she can tell you what season it's in just by the hairstyles, right? I love friends now. I love friends because I have deliberated in that moment while I sit to choose in here and sacrifice my ways for the sake of something that my love loves. And boy, now do I love friends. It works exactly the same way with the will of God. It takes a discipline to learn, to be focused on the things of the Spirit, to discover, to explore, to wonder, to see what is it that God loves, and to eventually move to a point through devotion. And that's what devotion is is one day you find yourself just doing it. You know what? I love that too. I love giving, I love thinking of others, I love living beyond myself. I love not being consumed in my own agendas. I love being a person of peace. I love being a positive influence in other people's lives. And all of that now no longer becomes a religious duty, but a wonderful act of natural devotion. Distraction, deliberation, devotion. If you're newer to the faith, that's exactly how it works. Notice how I was saying to you this morning, the Spirit-filled life is not some life where you come to a church, and I've been in conferences like this, by the way, where people come up on stage and tell you, I'm going to teach you how to speak in tongues and start to get you to practice saying, hubba, bubba, yubba, da, bubba, da, whatever it might be, right? And as if somehow, through our own mechanical efforts, it's going to bring apart one of the most beautiful and wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It is the lifeblood of God that flows into us that allows these experience and beautiful things to happen, but don't chase the experience. The Holy Spirit is not a genie. He's a guide, And he's a gentle guide who won't hijack your soul or wrestle you into the things of God. But through the conscious process of getting rid of the distractions and focusing on him, of deliberating and wrestling through those micro moments that you and I know so well in our lives, will we choose to go our way or God's way, eventually leads into lives of beautiful devotion. And so, you know, you have to think through this morning, whether you're a person of faith, what is the best way to live the human life? Jesus Christ has modeled that to us through His Spirit-filled life. And there is really one choice before you as we head out these doors this morning. And it's simply this, which operating system will you boot your life from in each moment this week? Experiment with that. Move into these situations, whether it be at work and a corporate agenda, whether it be in your home life, whether it be with a friend, whether it be up against something in your life that you are struggling with relationally with someone. There are going to be two ways to deal with that. The Windows way or the Mac way. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you guide us into all truth. Thank you for the way that... You have, Lord Jesus, promised us um, that you will grant us a version of yourself that is here present with each and every one of us. 
thank you for the lives that we celebrated this morning that have demonstrated in their small way the progression that is possible through the spirit-filled life. And so I pray for each and every one of us, wherever we are in the faith spectrum this morning, that we may come into a deeper awareness of you, of your still, small voice, of the way that your Holy Spirit is with us and amongst us. I pray over anyone in this space this morning that somehow came into this place with the untruth, that because of what they've said or that they've done this week, they are somehow less worthy of an experience of you this morning. For those of us too that rest upon our goodness and these disciplines that we've been talking about this morning, of our rightfulness and our worthiness before you, we apologize, Lord, and we say we're sorry for that. Father, I speak the truth over every person within this place this morning. That the fullness of your Holy Spirit, and as Paul said, the power that raised Christ from the dead. May that be at work in each and every one of us this morning that calls you our Lord and Saviour. For that we rejoice and give. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.